There's only one nation, Raider Nation. You're listening to Silver and Black tonight on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Hey, good Friday, Raider Nation. It is Scott Branson, host of Southern California's only all Raiders talk show, Silver and Black. Tonight, tonight, a best of show. I am still recovering, as you can probably tell from my voice, from COVID. Yes, I'm still in lockdown in my own home studio here. Uh, but I uh, just wanted to get a show out to you. So what we're going to do is give you two great conversations. The first is with someone you might know, Lee Arnberg. Lee Arnberg is an actor. You might know him from the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. He is a huge Raider fan. We had a great conversation with him uh, a little bit back about a year and a half ago. So we're going to bring you that conversation. Then in the second segment after the break, we're going to be talking with the ethical skeptic. This is the guy who ran the numbers and says, yes, indeed, the NFL does have a bias that you cannot explain otherwise against the Raiders with penalties, the officiating. So that's two great conversations with you. Thanks for all the notes and all the uh, the hit-ups on social media during my recovery from COVID. It's no joke. I uh, hope to be back next week. Uh, for everybody here at Silver and Black tonight, again, thank you for that. Here is a best of Silver and Black tonight. We are excited to talk with our next guest, who I know you all know well, a gifted actor, a card-carrying member of Raider Nation, best known for his roles as the pirate Pintel in Pirates of the Caribbean, as well as his recent run as Grumpy. That's right, Grumpy in the hit TV series Once Upon a Time and his memorable roles, at least for me, in several Star Trek series, and one of my favorites, Seinfeld, as Mike the Bookie. Love that parking spot episode, by the way. Mr. Lee Ehrenberg. Lee, welcome to the Silver and Black today, my friend. Good morning, Raider Nation. Thanks for having me. All right, man. Well, we appreciate it, uh, and uh, I want to jump right in, and, and I know we have a good amount of time to talk to you today. We're all, we're all trapped, right? So, uh, But it's good because there's... There, 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 <laughs> yeah, that's right. I love it, though, man. I, I, it's it's great to be able to talk to you. You have s- such a such an amazing and dynamic career, and of course, the the Raider fandom we'll get to as well. But as we start the show, we first have to get just to set up people. And I know a lot of our listeners and and viewers were really excited about having you on. How did you become a Raider fan? What was the kind of genesis of you becoming that member of Raider Nation? Well, you know what? I mean, I'm an LA kid. I grew up in LA. And uh, so really it was the L.A. Raiders that sold me for like do or die, silver and black for life. I'd always been a fan of kind of the aggression of the squad, but it was that really was that 1981 Super Bowl, like right before they moved to L.A. I was at UCLA doing theater and I was watching that uh, Super Bowl game in a dressing room while a show was on stage. (laughs) And uh, when we scored a touchdown. It might have even been Kenny King going to the house. Uh, I screamed and we went nuts and we got in big trouble for it. Um, <laughs> and uh, that hooked me, bro. <laughs> oh, 
That would, man. What, yeah. a, what a great game. And uh, Kenny, yeah. Kenny's, Kenny's son, Kenny King Jr., a uh, good guy and a friend of the show as well, and I'm sure he's listening and appreciates you mentioning uh, Dad there. Um, now, now for, you talk about that, and you, you mentioned UCLA. You mentioned growing up an L.A. kid. Of course, you went to Santa Monica High School, and we'll talk about who you went to Correct. high school with in a little bit. But right. you've had that acting bug since you were a young guy, and 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 you come out of Santa Monica, of course. Sean Penn, Emilio Estevez, Robert Downey Jr. These are guys that you went to school with. You must have had right. one hell of a drama department. We really did, actually. I mean, that's the truth. <clears throat> yeah, the the high school theater. Um, yeah, a lot of. I mean, I'm like the world's oldest brat packer for real, because <laughs> like it's taken me 40 years for guys to like. Hey, you're pretty good, man. But that's just the thing about a character actor's career. Uh, the trajectory is a little bit, uh, takes a little longer. And then when they finally go, hey, Seinfeld was good. Star Trek was good. Man, Pirates was good. It adds up. And so, yeah, many blessings. My family wasn't in the business. So even though I grew up in the shadow of the studio and surrounded by the movie stars, man, it was a, it was a million mile journey just to get invited to the party for sure. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. I mean, it's, I know it's a tough business. It always has been. And I think, you know, for me, one of, one of the hallmarks of a great actor overall is being versatile, right? So you have played so many different roles that span and range. That'd be tough for some. How, how did you develop that versatility that has helped you have this great career that you've had? Well, I mean, it's kind of like I started in the theater. So when I, I did a lot of theater in high school, and then when I went to UCLA, I started a theater company called The Actors Gang with my buddies at UCLA and a lot of other kind of real famous. Tim Robbins, uh, he was kind of like my older brother at, in uh, college, and he was kind of the leading force and took his early movie star money and invested it back in his fellow artists. And out of our theater company came Jack Black, uh, Kyle Gass, the band Tenacious D, started at, in our theater. <laughs> Kyle was my old roommate. So, I mean, I think it's also just, you know, the people you surround yourself with, the level of competition. Um, and I think that really helped me. Being into sports actually helped my acting career because, uh, you know, you, you run a basketball game, you're trying your hardest. And at the end of the game, it's like, all right, let's run it back. Win or lose, you still get the experience. And so, you know, a lot of acting is the rejection you know, the audition mm -hmm. process, but how do you stay focused and, 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 uh, eyes on the prize maybe when you're not getting that first or second opportunity. And so I think you just got to be driven, man. You have to want it. I would say people say, what advice do you have for young actors? I say, don't do it. But <laughs> if that doesn't convince you not to welcome to the club. <laughs> oh yeah again uh, we're talking to lee ehrenberg great actor and of course raiders fan and and lee you bring up you know acting and sports um together it, it you know, just like you said being being a character actor and i you know remember humphrey bogart started as a character actor right one of the best ever and 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 you look at sports too and and i think that's where we we know those guys that get the covers of People Magazine and all that kind of stuff, just like they get the cover of Sports Illustrated. But it's the guys who are working constantly. And as an actor for you, 
you know, you've had all these types of roles and, and you've made a great life for yourself and a great career for yourself by being that versatile. But there's always roles that you like and always roles that kind of help you grow as an athlete. If you're, let's say, a backup player or you're a, a player who's yeah. playing on the offensive line versus quarterback um, for you, is, is there are there roles that, that really had that type of impact on you in your career? Well, for sure. I mean, listen, I'm, I always see myself as like I want them to give me the ball. Like yeah. this is, I use, I use sports, you know, um, philosophy really for a lot of the acting. It's like, I'm a third down back, you know, um, I'm that kind of like, uh, I'm a nickel D back or something. I come in, they don't always need character actors, but when they need you, they need you badly. Your contribution is that little bit of flavor. It's the cherry on the Sunday. And, uh, you got to believe in yourself before that's how people believe in you. If you're out there and you want to have a dream as a musician in radio, in any of the arts, in any business, really believe in yourself. And that faith will open those doors magically because that that's how people believe in you. And I just, I got a strong um, energy about me. Obviously I'm big, I'm intense and, uh, you know, it's just that, like, I was too short, bald, and crazy to be playing in the NFL. I had to go acting. <laughs> that was my chance, you know. <laughs> Again, we're talking to Lee Ehrenberger, actor and uh, Raiders fan. And, Lee, you know, the, the role of... of um of Pintel in in the in the three Pirates of the Caribbean movies you were you were part of, um, that role too I think is a great example. Not only does it fit so well with you being a Raider fan and it being a pirate movie, but that role adds so much to that film. Of course, you have the big uh, you have the Johnny Depp role and all that stuff and how much how much time and effort and and focus that role takes in the movie. Uh, and of course, the yeah. other great actors you were with it too. But but that role I think that's a great example. Of what you're talking about is when it's third down and you get the ball you need to take it over that 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 goal line and that's what you're able to do how much fun was it working on those movies oh my god seriously uh, <laughs> you know we lived in the caribbean for two years i got to take a speedboat to work and hang with kira knightley all day so i mean yeah it was pretty sweet <laughs> you know um Honestly, I got it. It was a lucky break because all the roles were cast in London. The primary casting started there because there was no America. So English characters, the pirate world was prior to the modern day America. So I got real lucky. And that's why I say, you know, my break was they couldn't find that short, bald and crazy in London. And they came looking to Hollywood and I, I won that lotto. But uh, nice. this is for all you pirate fans out there. Here's a good one. Hello, Poppy. <laughs> I love so it. I got my little catchphrase, and and you know what though, it's um, it's all about like like I say, when they give you that chance in our business, uh, you got to go for it. We're the only business where a seventy percent completion rating isn't good enough. We have to be a hundred percent. They give you a laugh line, you get a laugh with it, and uh, so acting is you know a thousand percent business. You got to have a perfect. That's the execution that we're shooting for. And so it's very, again, very tied into sports. We, Yo, want to, we want to execute those first 15 plays, start this play strong, start this movie strong. And it's a team effort. There were a thousand people on, on the, the crew daily on Pirates. Marine guys, safety, uh, you know, caterers, uh, construction, the grips, the electrics, right? The actors 
we're the beneficiaries of everyone's efforts. So it's an ultimate team sport. Making movies, making TV is team sport. Well, and and we had I have to I have to over the air tell you hello from our good friend Andrea Villapiano, Phil Villapiano's daughter. Kelly's her oh, man. Piano, and, Kelly. and shout out to shout out to Andrea and Phil. Andrea welcomed me into kind of Raider Nation social media, and now I have a lot of Raider fans that are following and uh, awesome people from the heart. Um, and obviously, number forty-one. I mean, who wouldn't <laughs> want to wear a forty-one jersey, bro? Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, that doesn't get, he's, we, we, we have dubbed him here on our show and, and we take full credit for it. Uh, we've dubbed him the honorary new mayor of Las Vegas. So, so when he comes out I, and I told him and we, he, Phil said, Hey, when I get out there, we, we got, we all, the three of us, the, the guys on the show here and him got to sit down and have a beer. And I can't wait to do that when the stadium opens. Oh my God. Uh, I'm, I'm but, jumping up that Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. You got to be there, man. You got to be there. Yeah. But Lee, wh- one thing we're going to go to break here in a few minutes, but, but, but Andrea and I started talking cause we're both huge Seinfeld fans and you were in two episodes, but they're two very well-known episodes, uh, playing Mike, right? Mikey, the bookie, uh, and, yeah, and, world <laughs> yeah exactly but those kind of roles too when you get the opportunity you talk about taking opportunity and running with it to get in a yeah. show at that time like seinfeld for you too that had to be big as well right that was huge huge dude i was a young relatively young guy at the time and i mean tv has changed so much because back in the day those that's the 90s that first show i did would have been 93 maybe mm-hmm. um and 40 million people would watch that Thursday night on NBC. And so the impact, I got a standing ovation at the dog park, man, the next day. It was pretty cool. <laughs> um, and, and, but, but you think about Raider football, Lee, and it's been a long few decades for the franchise. You know, you talked about mm. being in college and that 81 and then, of course, the 83 season, all that greatness that was the Raiders, uh, and including losing Al Davis in 2011. As a fan, how tough has that been for you not to see them where they once were? It's brutal, dude. It's brutal. I mean, the, the, the thing about us, I mean, myself as a Raiders fan is I'm myopic. Every mm. year it's Super Bowl. That's my prediction. Every year. So, you know, it's even, even and I'm a pretty good sports handicapper, but I'm still with, when it comes to my Raiders football, it's like, it's just win, baby. Nothing else. It's like, if we don't have that commitment to excellence in the Raider tradition, that's really what the program for me is why I love the squad. It's like once a Raider, always a Raider. I just love all that. And, um, you know, I think that this, the turning point for our squad, I feel like we're coming around. Um, obviously, this draft is huge. Um, but, yeah, it's tough. We watched, I'll tell you a good story. On the first Pirates, um, we started shooting in, 20, in 2002, and we were in the Caribbean in 2003 for that Super Bowl against Tampa oh. Bay. So it was an all-pirate Super Bowl, and I'm making the pirate movie. And uh, I'll tell you something, dude. Watching that game uh, in uh, St. Vincent in the Caribbean, I was <laughs> – trust me, dude. <clears throat> we were all – all the Raider fans were drinking by halftime. That was a rough <laughs> one, and it's been a rough, was. Ten, it's been a rough 10 years, bro. Hey, Lee, yeah. it's Chaz. We, we all have Raider okay. friends and kind of friends that, that like other teams and we kind of give the business back and forth with. Uh, 
you talk about all these incredible actors that you kind of grew into the business with. Who do you talk to most, you know, who, who do you give the most football trash with? Wow. You know, it's right. Like, that's a good question, man. I, I tell you something. Um, a lot of my buds, I mean, I know so many New Yorkers. It's hard to say. I think I do most of my BSing with producers, you know, <laughs> guys that can actually hire you. Like, who cares about the other actors? I want to schmooze the producers who can give me the gig. Um, yeah, I don't know. People know I'm do or die Raider, and uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a some rough season. It's funny. There's I, I consider everyone else super bandwagon. Like I'll have friends, actor friends that are, oh they grew up in Dallas, but they like Kansas City, and then when Green Bay's good, <laughs> they like the pack. I'm like, I, I love my team, win or lose. Yeah, we have the best colors. Um, obviously, I'm a pirate for life, so. Yeah, I'll give I'll give the BS to anyone though, bro. If they get they started out. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, and if you look at this current roster, right? I mean, we as as fans, I think we always look at our teams and and there's a couple. You like the whole team, of course, course but there's maybe, there's maybe there's a couple, there's a couple of guys, guys who who who, who, who appeal, appeal to you. To Is there somebody that appeals to you and 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 as a guy that you just love watching? Yeah, well, it's Josh Jacobs, no question. Yeah. Um. And I'm a fantasy football guy, too, for many, many, many ah. years. So I snagged that sucker way early, and my guys in my league were like, what are you doing wasting a fifth round? I was like, because I know what's coming. And <laughs> his, his story is so great, and um, I'm down with his father, and just like, you know, the, the, with the ability for people to kind of overcome their adversity, that's the, mm. the triumph of sports for me. Um, the way out of, of the poverty that he experienced. I mean, just I, that story makes me cry when I see it, you know? And uh, so for his success, he's my number one right now um, on the squad. I, I love him. And, uh, but boy, it was great to be on hard knocks. I really learned this squad. I loved what they, how that hard knocks came out. And uh, I'm knocking on some wood. If you can hear me. <laughs> I love it again. We're talking to actor Lee Ehrenberg, of course, Pirates of the Caribbean fame, Once Upon a Time, you name it, Seinfeld, Star Trek, you name it. He's been everywhere and done an amazing job. And uh, Lee, when you look at this team, too, co clearly coming to Las Vegas, I know uh, from your social media, too, you were up in Oakland last season. You see some games up there. With them being yeah. closer, of course, as an actor, your schedule can be nuts. But uh, with, with them being a little bit closer, you anticipate coming up and catching some games here in Las Vegas since it's a little closer? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and also the great thing, too, is I'll go see, I'll go see them at the SoFi when they're going against the Chargers or if they play the Rams. I will travel. I mean, that's the great thing, too, <laughs> about the Raider Nation. It's like we represent in every stadium in America. And for sure, I'm excited that the new kind of like uh, Death Star, <laughs> whatever we're calling Allegiant <laughs> Stadium, it looks rad, dude. I mean, I've been watching the building of it and uh, all the videos, and it's gorgeous looking. And I think Vegas is a, is a fine spot for it. Um, uh, it's a, a city that will attract. Obviously, it's going to be a hot ticket. Um, but I think it's a smart move for them. You know, I'm hoping it all works out. Obviously, I think that, um, you know, Mark Davis is, is seems to be pushing us in the right direction. And we need a good stadium. We want to have, we're a sexy, we're a sexy brand. And, I oh, think, yeah. you know, obviously we're bringing swagger to Vegas in a way that uh, it's exciting. It's Raider Nation. It doesn't matter where we play. We're Raiders. 
Sure, you know, and the great thing too, I think when I was at, I was the last game I saw up there was the Tennessee game, and Shane Leckler lit it, and I mean, just a way to give tribute to these legendary players. I mean, we're the only team with like two of the best punters in NFL history. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. and even Marquette was a great punter too. He was a heck yes. of a punter. Yes. So, but and- yeah, Ray Guy. I mean, that's the thing about the Raiders, like Jim Otto, the legend. Yeah. I mean, I consider character actors like the O-line of, of acting. Yes. We're the O-line. You know, we're, you need us because we fill out the colors. But obviously the QB and your, your star positions are going to get the attention. But without an O-line, you're not winning, bro. No, absolutely. You got you to gotta win it up, as they call it, with the uglies, right? Uh, yeah, so that'll that's be fun. my specialty of the house, bro. <laughs> Lee Ehrenberg, listen, man, we appreciate you spending the time today. We'll have you on again, I'm sure, especially when we get to talk more about football, uh, as long as it works around your schedule. And I know you got a bunch of stuff, I'm sure, in the works that we'll see very soon. So thank you so much for spending so much time with us today. Guys, have a great day. Have a great Easter. Rock your pandemic. My message to everyone in the Raider Nation is stay safe, stay strong, and treat the ones you love like you really love them. All right. That's awesome. Lee Ehrenberg, we appreciate it. Raider fan, amazing actor. We appreciate you being here. We will be right back with Silver and Black tonight on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. To Scott and Mo on Silver and Black tonight on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. This is a best of Silver and Black tonight as I recover from COVID. Now our conversation on the Raiders and NFL officiating bias with the ethical skeptic. Enjoy. We're going to jump in and, and tonight's show. I'm really excited about our first guest here because uh, one of the things, Chaz, when you when you talk to Raider fans, I think they honestly believe that the Raiders, when it comes to the NFL, because of the history of Al Davis and the team and the lawsuits and all that stuff, right. that the Raiders, Chaz, are more penalized than any other team. Now, we know that. Like, this year it was true. Yeah. I, I went back through this year to look at it because we, you know I was reading this article and it was just so compelling. So I was like, you know, let me, let me go back and read it for myself because I'm just kind of your casual fan. Right. That, you know, I, I, see, I see the penalty. I think, oh, yeah, they're against us. And then when it's over, I, I kind of let it go. But, boy, th- there were some glaring numbers uh, popped up this season. 40% of the, the Raiders' penalties gave the opposing team a first down. It's crazy. And I'm... Now, now I had a lot of people in, in, in running up to the show... Uh, uh, tweet at me, text me, whatever, saying, listen, look, you can't blame penalties for the Raiders losing, right? Right. Now, that may be true in some instances. In others, it may not be true. In fact, uh, we're going to go out now on the phone line and bring in uh, someone you can follow on Twitter, at Ethical Skeptic, and that's where we're going to keep it. Now, this gentleman, um, uh, I, 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 I will say I do know his identity, but, but for, other, for reasons that we can't discuss right now, we're going we're gonna to stick with Ethical Skeptic. I like that. Uh, but just let me say that his background is impeccable, um, his, his, his education, everything. Uh, this man knows what he's talking about. So, Ethical Skeptic, thanks for joining us here on the Silver and Black Tonight. Hey, Scott and Chaz. Pleasure to be on Silver and Black tonight and CBS Sports Radio, Las Vegas. All right. Well, welcome. And of course, you know, we when I first saw you tweet this out, 
um, it, it intrigued me because I've had a couple a couple of our readers and listeners who sent me da- uh, you know spreadsheets with really good justification for why the Raiders penalties are so out of whack with the rest of the league now. What you go into this document and, and what you say, and, and I've, 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 I've tweeted the pictures out of, of your kind of report on the Raiders up, and of course they can check out ethicalskeptic.com as well. But what you've said here, and I'm going to read some from your report here, is the, NF, the, the Oakland Raiders have consistently been the most penalized team by far over the last 60 years wow. of NFL operations. And you say here, when one examines statistics and the types of penalties involved through those six de- uh, decades... Um, and multiple dozens of various level coaches who were not highly penalized before they were with the Raiders, you find that, I mean, the data, it's hard to argue with this ethical skeptic. It's hard to argue what you say here. Tell people, why, why did you decide to look at the Raiders and the disparity and the penalties with this team? Well, I think each year, you know, we, we as Raider fans, and, and full disclosure, I'm a lifelong Raider fan, but... I, I look at the data on penalties and I see each year, yeah, we're the most penalized or we're number two or number three. Mm-hmm. And I, and I just missed that saying, yeah, but we are also an aggressive team. But I began to look at each year's statistics as they rolled in. And this year in particular stood out to me. Uh, this year, the Raiders were penalized eight times per game while their opponents were penalized 5.6 times per game. Now that's inside a normal range that runs from about eight to about 5.5. So, in other words, the Raiders for 2019 were not only the most penalized team per play, or they were penalized the most per play in the NFL this year, but also their opponents were the least penalized. In other words, the least penalized team in the NFL was generally whatever team happened to be playing Oakland in 2019. That's what I call the spread. Yes. Now, the spread is what damages a team. It's not being penalized a lot necessarily. It's when your opponents aren't penalized in the same games. That's when it becomes damaging. That's when you turn and you can turn a good team uh, into a an average team. You can deny a team the playoffs, and indeed, that's what happened this year with the Raiders. Well, and that's what I was going to say is you know when you looked at this and you, and and that's the point you just made right, which is the fact that. Okay, if you're in a game, and we've seen games this year in the NFL where there were flags everywhere, but it was pretty equitable, meaning both sides were being called on everything, okay? When you see that, okay, fine, then statistically it works out. But what you're saying here is that every almost every time the Raiders play and they have penalties, the other team is almost always penalized a lot less than they are. Yes, correct. They they were. I think Minnesota was the least penalized team. The second least penalized team in the NFL was whoever was playing the Oakland Raiders on any given week, and that's that's where I have a problem. That begins to affect the real the outcome of the season. So it's not. I'm not complaining about blown calls. You know, those happen all the time. There's give and take. This is uh, uh, more of a, uh, a systemic systemic bias, as we call it. Right. And, and, and to me, I mean, you, you go in, in, in here and, and you say, and I, and I want to get to the point about them not making the playoffs this year, the, differ- the differentiation between record and what it could have been had the penalties been more equitable later on. But what you say here, too, is that, um, th- that in, in any other context, if you were to look at this, whether it be gaming or another, another type of, 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 of sport, that this would be known as cheating, and that you even you even go to the point of calling it a form of racketeering, mm-hmm. correct? 
<laughs> yes, I do. I, it's racketeering like because I'm not a lawyer. Right. I'm not a, not a, not fully trained on that. I have in my uh, in my consulting uh, history, I have pursued racketeering cases. This is very racketeering like, but I won't cross the line of of making a final uh, accusation. Yes. Yes, and and the other thing I want to get to here too, because before people say, well, you know what, you're undisciplined team and all that, and you have an answer for that too. But what you write here too is the vast majority of the penalty incidences and imbalances involve calls that are open to subtle interpretation. So those are things that can be called on every single play. Let's say like offensive holding or pass interference, uh, but they're not called on certain teams, and they're more heavily called. On, tar- on targeted teams like the Raiders. In fact, flags thrown or not thrown at critical moments in a drive or upon a, a beneficial turnover or a touchdown. Explain that a little bit and talk about how that judgment versus, let's say, a false start or, or one of those penalties which is clear and, and everyone can't escape. Yeah, I, and I went through this myself, you know, back uh, as far back as 1973. I'm like, hey, why are we getting so many penalties? And and my buddies would say, it's because you're an undisciplined team. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I, I labored under that myth for decades. This year, when I looked at the penalties that were let to the uh, called on the Raiders, uh, I, I defined a class of penalty called the discipline class. And that class of penalty is like delay of game, too many players on the field, neutral zone infraction, encroachment, false start, all those things that you, you know, the fans can easily see on TV. It's easy to pick off those penalties. Those are the indicators of a team's discipline and coaching and discipline with regard to, to that type of penalty control in their game. Surprisingly, when I looked at those classes of penalties for the Raiders, the Raiders were at 80% of the NFL average. In other words, Wow. They were in the top, about the top third discipline in terms of, of penalties, that discipline class penalty. That actually shocked me. But when I compared this to what we call the more subjective call uh, penalties, where, where it's interpretive on the part of the referee, the Raiders have penaled at double the rate of the NFL average, especially as it pertains to first down, automatic first down, and scoring drives, sustaining penalties, big wow. penalties. They're penalized at double the average rate of the NFL. Many teams, they're, they're penalized triple their rate. So that actually shocked me. And that's independent of the spread. It's not just that the Raiders are called for more penalties. It's when they are called, they're devastating. They arrive at the most devastating yes. moment in the game. Yeah, that's what we talked about. Hey, Mr. Skeptic, it's, uh, it's Chaz. Uh, you talked about the 70. You go back to the, the early ages. Um, I feel like the Raiders inordinate amount of penalties, you know, was justified in the 70s because of, let's call it their aggressive play. But, you know, for me, starting in the 80s, Al Davis's feud with the commissioner, Pete Rozelle, you know, off the field seemed to have an effect on the outcome of games on the field. In your research for this article, did you find any connection to that, you know, off the field oh, yeah. foul play? Oh, yeah. And there's no doubt about it. The, uh, the penalty statistics, although they were heavy in the 60s and 70s, 1982, the penalty statistics went out of control, yeah. and that's the year that Al Davis filed the uh, filed or joined the <laughs> LA Commission lawsuit. That's absolutely correct. Yep. Well, <laughs> yeah. I love the quote about the racketeering. You know, because it's true. The referees can make bad calls all day, and if a player or a coach complains about it, you know, they can get fined. Yeah, and, and I want to make it clear here that we're not accusing referees of being dishonest. These are good, hardworking people. They're honest people. What, what, what constitutes racketeering is when you know that there are mechanisms of systemic bias. In other words, the organization in general is creating a bias. 
and you don't undertake uh, the corrections, the quality control uh, methodologies that you need to correct the product that you're delivering to your customer, when you don't take those actions, that's when you begin to range into uh, doing wrong as an organization. Again, we're speaking with uh, The Ethical Skeptic. You can follow him on Twitter at Ethical Skeptic and also EthicalSkeptic.com to read more of his work, some of which uh, had my head spinning, by the way. <laughs> Arkham's Razor, all this stuff. It's great stuff. Uh, but, but here's the thing. You talked about those penalties thrown against the Raiders that are, that are critically, at critically devastating moments, as you call them. And, and you talked about this, this idea of the, the, the net uptake of the 16 game season and what that those those drives those impacted drives meant to this team and what you said here was equating to a whopping 96 additional opponent score points okay by the net drive points chart below which you have in your thing and beyond their opponent's performances that that because of this 6 points per game difference because of ball control minutes impact and so on the Raiders, uh, it makes the difference between a seven and nine season versus a nine and seven, possibly a ten and six season. Not to mention the fact that they didn't make the playoffs. So you're asserting here that because of this, this, this bias there, um, they probably missed the playoffs this year. Yeah, absolutely, Stark. I mean, think of it as a fan. What could you do with a hundred extra points for your team allocated into a season? And not not even just as you wish on the games you wish to apply them to, but if you randomly allocated those points <laughs> into the uh, Raiders' scores for the season, it would have taken us more than likely to nine and seven and ten and six, and that's only bringing us back to the average NFL team. If there was a bias for the Raiders, then it would be certainly even more more dramatic than that. Wow. Yeah, what's crazy too is the other thing you mentioned here, a skeptic, is the fact that. And, and I love the way you approach this because people will look out there and say, oh, well, it's Raider fans. or uh, No, but the data, too, this is one to me that is fascinating, which is the coaches. What you did here is you said that Raider head coaches are penalized 26.3% more as the head coach of the Raiders than they were, let's say, than before when they coached another team or when after they leave the Raiders. So clearly... Statistically, I mean, it's close. It's like 95, you had 95.6, 96.7 before and after they're with the Raiders. But with the Raiders, it jumps to 121.5, an average over 3.3 years. And, and that's 26. So, so a coach, it doesn't matter who that coach is, which is your point that the whole discipline thing goes out the window. Yeah, absolutely. I, as I was pulling down the coach penalty, Dad, I was, I was sitting there cringing, going, please don't let this be true. Please don't let this be true. <laughs> and, uh, I pulled the data down from Pro Football Reference and crunched it, uh, you know, standard way I look at data. You know, the average coach, before they arrived at the Raiders, coached 6.3 years with other NFL teams as head coach. And then coincidentally, just by the math, 6.3 years with other teams after they departed from being the uh, Raiders head coach. And a 26.3% higher rate of penalty for that coach uh, when they, when they coach the Raiders. So this, this absolutely falsifies the notion that, uh, that the penalty extra penalties are an issue of team discipline. Interesting. And not only that, um, one of the things too, you mentioned in, in your write up here that DJ Hayden, of course, played for the Raiders and he said that he was penalized more as a Raider player than he was with other teams. So you did, you did the math on that and the, the penalties that he had uh, in his three years with Detroit and Jacksonville, and it's a 65% reduction in penalties per game against him played 
and that's a 55% reduction in penalties per snap during his tenure with a team other than the Raiders. So this, being a Raider, it's, it's coaches, it's players, everything. Now, the important question here, ethical skeptic, is you, you, say, you, know, you talk about the referees being good men and they're out there doing a good job. So is this just inherent? Is this, is this evil people at the NFL doing something? Or is, just, is this ingrained in everybody's psyche when they become a young referee, enter the NFL, and, and stay for 15, 20 years? Is it just something that they, that's accepted and just happens to come out because of the history and the bias that's already been there? Well, you know, everybody knows the Coliseum. What I was hoping was to see statistics that said, you know, if you go to the Coliseum, you you, you got to put your armor on when you go in the game at the Coliseum. <laughs> you're you you want to be tough, and when you walk out on that field, if you're a ref or a player, you're going to play the game a little tougher than maybe you might elsewhere. And so I carried that theory for a while. But the fact that the opposing teams are penalized less sort of runs counter to that. I think that there there can be, and I've done a lot of uh, analysis through my career in naval intelligence as an officer in naval intelligence, and in and uh, over 160 strategies with different companies. I do a lot of statistical analysis to look at subtle patterns like this. Organizations can produce bias without that bias necessarily being the intent of any given individual. My suspicion is that it resides right along those lines. That it's. It's, I don't know, it's sort of like a gigantic Ouija board or something. <laughs> having their fingers on the planchette. Well, maybe maybe them coming to Las Vegas will change their odds, although you know how bad the odds are. Most people who come here to gamble think they're going to beat the house, but you and I know better. Um, yeah. But let me ask you this question then, the, the ultimate question. And, and again, thank you for your work. It's amazing. We're getting amazing comments. And there will be a write-up on uh, silverandblacktoday.com, the website as well, uh, tomorrow on, on, on your work. Um, w- how does it change? If I mean it's 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 if you look at it, it's the bias is there. So so if you're an organization, you talked about being in the military and, and looking at strategies and whatnot. How do you, as an organization, how do you get the NFL to first recognize that there is that problem, that the bias is there, and that that you need to do something to change it? And and is there a possibility of that even happening? Uh, yeah, I uh, I don't know if there's a possibility of the change happening. Uh, the goal of this article was to get to the, the NFL to at least consider the issue seriously. There are quality control standards and mechanisms. I've put them in place in companies that I've operated and, and clients that I've worked for. There are quality co- control standards that can be used in subjective call situations just like this. And the NFL referees themselves can institute these quality control measures. It's not a large burden or overhead of work. And they can watch how their what's called their ergodicity, if you will, their outcomes, watch their outcomes, and then come back together as a team and say, hey, what are we doing here? How are we obtaining this bias? There's an ISO standard called 9001 that allows, would allow the referee organization to, uh, to put together their own, their own quality standards and procedures. But I think all this is apropos because this year the NFL has announced that they're going to do a top-to-bottom thorough review of right. NFL officiating for the, during the offseason in 2020. Well, yeah, and and, and uh, I plan on, w- w- once we do our story and, and your document, too, I actually plan on forwarding to folks with the team because I think it's, you know, they, they may or may not want to address it, but I think it, it's so it's so based in everything from the scientific me- scientific method to obviously statistics and all this stuff, and you've done an amazing job. And I know, I know for Raider fans, it just reaffirms <laughs> – 
their long held, let's just call it for, for the sake of this conversation, conspiracy theory that the Raiders were being uh, held to a different standard. But clearly your work here shows that that indeed uh, is probably true. So we, we thank you for spending the time with us today. And um, we'll keep in touch with you because I, I want to see what happens when they get to Vegas. We, ha- we have to wait another year and see what happens with the data. I want to I see us in 2020 if, if, their, if their luck or if that bias changes at all yeah. or if maybe the Las Vegas stigma of being Sin City actually makes it worse. Huh. Well, I think that there are a lot of people in Las Vegas who understand statistics mm-hmm. oh, yeah. and playing the game very well. So they're going to get a lot more scrutiny, they being the NFL. They're going to get a lot more scrutiny from the uh, Vegas crowd. They will. All right, ethicalskeptic.com. Check out his website, amazing work in all sorts of areas. And, of course, this report, we tweeted out uh, the three pages of it, and we will have a story tomorrow on silverandblacktoday.com. Again, thanks for spending the time with us, and we'll talk to you real soon. Scott and Chaz, thank you. It's been a pleasure. All right. Ethical Skeptic. Follow him on Twitter, at Ethical Skeptic. Fascinating work that he does, Chaz. And (laughs) there you go. I mean, as a Raider fan, it just makes me more frustrated to know that there's actually data to back up, you know, the fact that the Raiders have been getting the pooch the last 30, 40, 50 years. um, But those were different because though you're absolutely right, and he he mentions that in in the report, by the way, guys, which you should read. Uh, We tweeted it right at the beginning of the show, so check it out. Um is he said, look, yeah, those aren't the penalties he's talking about that have been so damaging. It's the things like holding, offensive, defensive pass interference, these calls that are open right. to interpretation and could be called on every NFL play, but just happen to be called more on the Raiders. Right, and that's what I said in the opening. You know, 40% of the Raiders' penalties gave the first down to the opponent. That's just a huge statistic. It's, it's hard. You can't overcome that. No, you Thank you for joining us. Please catch Silver and Black tonight, every Friday at 6 p.m. on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio.